Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are more than able to help us, to redeem us, to encourage us, to take us through the difficult times that we face in this sin-scarred world. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that all who are here today would emerge ever more encouraged in their faith, ever more willing to lean on you when inevitable tough times come. And we will trust you for the results. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Have a seat. Well, we're in the second and final week of a little mini-series that we put together. It's called, If I Believe, Why Do I Doubt? And last week, if you were here, we dealt with five steps that you can take when doubt begins to erode your soul to try to regain some spiritual equilibrium when that kind of thing happens. And and this week, we're going to look at the number one cause of doubt, which is, if God is real... If God is loving, why is there suffering in the world? Because one thing is beyond debate. We live in a world where pain and tragedy and suffering are all too real. I mean, there's illness, there's abuse, there's broken relationships, there's betrayal, there's sorrow, there's injuries and disappointment, there's heartache and crime and disasters and death. And maybe you've been asking the question, why? Why? Why me? Why our family? I mean, that why question goes back thousands of years. We see it in the Old Testament, in the book of Job. We see it all throughout the Psalms. And in fact, a few years ago, I commissioned a national survey done by the Barna Organization. And I asked a cross-section of Americans, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, what would you ask him? And by far, by far, the number one question is, If God is real, why is there suffering in the world? Now, we have to keep in mind, there are at least 20 lines of evidence from science and history and philosophy that point toward the truth of Christianity. And that's on one side of the scale. But on the other side of the scale, we have this question about suffering. And that that is the number one objection. It is the biggest issue. And if you never asked why we have suffering in our world, You will someday when pain and tragedy comes to your life or to someone you love. Because Jesus said, they are coming. They are coming. Unlike other religious leaders, Jesus was honest. You know, in some Eastern religions, they believe that suffering is what they call maya. It's an illusion. It's not real. It's a false belief. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to be honest with you. And he is in John 16, 33, where he says, You will have suffering in this world. You will. You will have suffering in this world. He didn't say you might. He says you're gonna. But why? Why? Well, if you were to ask me point blank, why did God allow this specific illness to this specific person or this specific tragedy to this specific person, I have to give you a four-word answer. I do not know. I do not know. I can't stand in the shoes of God and give a complete answer to a specific question like that. I don't have God's mind. I don't see with the eyes of God. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12 says, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, ultimately in heaven, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is is partial and incomplete. 
but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. So someday we will see with clarity, but for now we can't understand everything from our finite perspective. But what I want to do today is I want to kind of pull back a little bit and I want to focus on sort of the big overarching issue of generally why does suffering occur in this world that God created. Because even though we can't understand everything, there are some key things that we can understand. Now, let me give you an analogy. Uh, Several years ago, Leslie and I were going on a vacation. We lived in Chicago. We were going up to Wisconsin for vacation. And I don't know if you've ever been to a place called Door County, Wisconsin, but it's a great vacation spot. And if you picture the map of Wisconsin, you see the peninsula that sticks out into Lake Michigan. That's called Door County. Great place to go for vacation. So we're driving up in the evening to Door County, and we're on Highway 42, four-lane highway, and it's getting dark, and it starts to rain. I mean, it starts to pour. I mean, the clouds open up, and, and then we hit fog. Because this is a peninsula sticking into a big lake, and you tend to get fog. And so all of a sudden, the fog got denser and denser and denser. And, and pretty soon, there was virtually no visibility. I mean, I'm driving along. I can barely see the white line that marked the edge of the road. I hate driving in fog, don't you? It is scary. I couldn't stop because I was afraid I'd get rear-ended by someone. I couldn't pull off the road because I couldn't see what was there. Is there a ravine there? I mean, I I didn't know. So all I could do was to drive in a very um, uh, slow and, and safe way as best as I could. So we're going along, and pretty soon, a truck pulls onto the highway in front of me and is driving in front of me in the same direction. Now, he must have had fog lamps in the front of his truck because he could apparently see pretty well through the fog. Um, and so I thought, because he's driving with, with confidence and, and pretty, pretty quickly, so I thought, all I have to do, I could see the taillights through the fog of his truck, and I thought, all I have to do is follow those taillights. Just keep following those taillights, and it will take me to a place of safety. And you know what? The same is true in understanding why there's tragedy and suffering in our lives. We may not be able to see everything. It may be that the peripheral details are obscured from our view, but there are some key biblical truths that can illuminate some points of light for us. And if we follow those points of light coming from the Bible, it can lead us to some conclusions that I believe can satisfy our souls. So what are those points of light? Let me go through five of these points of light that I've personally found helpful in navigating through this issue of why God allows suffering. Point of light number one is this. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. This answers the question you hear so often, which is, well, why didn't God merely create a world where tragedy and suffering didn't exist? And the answer is, he did. He did. Genesis 1 verse 31 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. But if God is not the author of tragedy and evil, where did it come from? 
Well, we have to understand that God has existed from eternity past as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, interacting in perfect love from eternity past. So love is the highest value in the universe. And when God decided to create humankind, he wanted to give us the ability to love, to love each other and to love God. But to give us the ability to love, God had to give us free will to decide whether to love or not to love. Why? Because love always involves a choice. Love always involves a choice. If we were programmed to say, I love you, you know, we wouldn't really mean it. A robot, if it says, I love you, he doesn't mean it. He's programmed to say it. I remember when my daughter was, was little, they used to have these dolls called Chatty Cathy. And, 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 and it had a string on the back. And, and so you'd pull the string and it would talk to you. So here's my little daughter and she'd pull the string on Chatty Cathy and it would say, I love you. Now, did that doll love my daughter? No, of course not. It was programmed to say that. It was a rudimentary robot in a sense. It had no free will. It was forced to say, I love you. But real love always involves a choice to love or not to love. So in order for us to experience God and to experience love, God bestowed on us free will. But unfortunately, we human beings have abused our free will by rejecting God and walking away from him. And this has resulted in the introduction of two kinds of evil into the world, moral evil and natural evil. Moral evil is the immorality and the pain and the tragedy that result because we, we, we tend to be selfish, we tend to be arrogant, we tend to be hateful and divisive and uncaring. Romans 3 ver, uh, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some have estimated that 90% of the suffering in our world is a result of sinful action or inaction on the part of ourselves or other people. For instance, people look at a famine in Africa and they say, you know, why does God allow famine to take place? And yet, we produce enough food in this world to feed every man, woman, and child 3,000 calories a day. And yet, it is our own self-centeredness and irresponsibility that results in not everybody getting a share of this bounty of food. So in other words, you can look at your hand and say, I can take my hand and I can pick up a gun and I can kill an innocent person. Or I could take my hand and I can fill it with food and I can feed a hungry person. But it's a little disingenuous for me to pick up a gun with my hand and kill somebody else and then blame God for suffering in the world, right? It's like the old cartoon says, we have seen the enemy and he is us. The second kind of evil that our sin has allowed into the world is called natural evil. These are things like earthquakes and tornadoes and, 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 and wildfires and things like that that cause suffering. But these too are the indirect result of sin being allowed into the world. One author said, when we human beings told God to shove off, he partially honored our request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease were introduced. Pain and death became part of the human experience. 
Genesis 3, verse 18, says that it's because of sin that nature has been corrupted and that thorns and thistles have been introduced into the world. Romans 8, verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as if in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. In other words, nature itself is longing for redemption, for things to be made right. That's the source of disorder and chaos. So let me just make this first point really clear. God is not the author. He did not create evil and suffering. Now, it's true that he did create the potential for evil to enter into the world, but that's only because uh, he gave us the potential for genuine goodness, for love. He gave us free will, and it's us human beings, we human beings who have abused our free will and brought the potential of evil into reality. Now, some people say, well, couldn't, couldn't God have foreseen this? I mean, didn't he see this coming? And no doubt he did. But look at it this way. Many of us are parents, right? Well, even before you had children, couldn't you have foreseen that there's a very real possibility that they may suffer disappointment or pain or heartache in life, or they may um, hurt you or walk away from you or betray you, and yet you still had kids? Why? Maybe you're wondering why. (laughs) Well, you did so because you knew the potential was there for a tremendous joy and deep love and great meaning. And so you chose to have children. And this analogy is certainly not perfect, but think about God. He undoubtedly knew that we'd rebel against him, but he also knew that many people would choose to follow him, to have a relationship with him, to spend eternity in heaven with him. And it was all worth it for that, even though it cost his own son, great pain and suffering to achieve our redemption. So the first point of light that we need to remember is we're following these points of light through the fog of confusion on this issue. First point of light, God did not create evil and suffering. Second point of light is this. Though suffering is not good, God can use it to accomplish good. Suffering is not good, but God can draw good from it. He can use it to accomplish good, and he does this in a variety of different ways. I'm just going to go through quickly four ways that God can use suffering to accomplish good. First, God uses pain to draw people toward Christ. He uses pain to draw people toward Christ. The philosopher Peter Kreeft put it this way. He said, the meaning and purpose of suffering in history is that it leads to repentance. Only after suffering, only after disaster, does Israel, do nations, do individuals turn back to God. Suffering brings repentance. We learn the hard way. As C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And we know that's true, don't we? When things are going great, when we don't have a trouble in the world, when everything is copacetic and fine, that's when we tend to forget about God. Often it's when we suffer, it's when we experience heartache or disappointment that we're more likely to turn to God. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. 
We should never regret his sending it. We should never regret. Why shouldn't we regret his sending pain and suffering into our life that way? Because this is how God attracts us toward the greatest joy in life, which is an intimate and a personal relationship with him and heaven forever. And the truth is, it is worth any price if that means we're going to get to know God personally. Some of you have heard the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, Johnny um, was paralyzed in a diving accident as a teenager, and she's become pretty much a quadriplegic now for more than 55 years. And uh, listen to what she said about the pain and suffering that she's endured for more than 55 years. She said, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. In other words, if it took paralysis to bring her to God, it was worth it a thousand times over. Second, God uses pain to sharpen our character and to help his children become more like Christ. Romans 5 verse 3 says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's like the old saying, no pain, no gain. I got, I got a friend of mine who was an Olympic athlete. He completed, competed in the decathlon in the Seoul Olympics a number of years ago. And he would tell me about the training that he would endure to become an Olympic-level athlete, uh, to increase his endurance and his skill and his strength. It, it, it was unbelievable. But he said, Lee, this pain was necessary. I had to go through it. And the truth is that improvements to our character and to our virtue and to our wisdom, usually also come in a process involving sacrifice or difficulties. That's how we learn. That's how we mature. That's how we grow. For instance, there would be no such thing as courage in a world without suffering. In fact, listen to this. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, But even though Jesus, even though he was God's son, He learned to be obedient by means of his sufferings. So if Jesus learned to be obedient by means of his sufferings, why wouldn't that be true of us as well? The third way that God draws good from the evil and suffering in the world is the Bible says God uses pain to lovingly discipline his children for their own good so that we might learn the right path to take. Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11 say this. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, discipline is not punishment. They're very different concepts. Punishment is retribution for misbehavior or misdeeds in your past. But discipline is the loving way that we correct someone's behavior for the future so that the future is going to be better for them. In other words, the worst thing you could ever do for your children is to not correct them when they're straying. And so you use something you may not particularly like discipline, to accomplish something that you love, which is protecting your children from the harm that will result if they continue walking down the wrong path. 
But here's the problem with God. He has the big picture and we don't. He can see the good that will result from the discipline he allows in our lives. Sometimes we can't see it. In the midst of it, we don't have his perspective. Here's an analogy. You're walking in the woods and you come across a bear that has its leg caught in a trap. And you have compassion for this bear. You want to let the bear go free and and live a good life. And, and, And so you want to rescue the bear from this trap that's got a hold of his leg. But the bear is all agitated. He's all upset. And so what do you do? You you, you take a gun and a tranquilizer gun and you shoot him with a tranquilizer. But the bear sees you shooting him with a gun. He thinks, you're out to kill me. You're out to hurt me. You're out to cause pain in my life. And if the bear is still conscious, when you have to push his leg further into the trap to release the tension on the spring, now he's convinced This person is there to hurt me. This person is there to cause suffering in my life. He wouldn't understand that you're there to rescue him. You're there to help him. You're there for his own good. You see what I'm saying? We only see things from a limited perspective, just like the bear does. And we wonder why God allows suffering in our lives when actually he's doing it because he sees the big picture and he knows ultimately it's the best thing that can happen. I love the way Johnny Erickson Tata puts it. She said, every sorrow we taste will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could have happened. We will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials he sent us here. This is not Disneyland, she said. This is truth. And that from a woman who has suffered in a wheelchair for more than 55 years. Finally, the fourth way God draws good from the suffering in our life. The fourth point of light is that God can accomplish something positive out of the negatives that befall us. God can accomplish something positive from the negatives that befall us. He does this by fulfilling the promise he makes in Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice that verse doesn't say God causes evil and suffering, just that he promises to to cause good to emerge from the suffering that we endure. And notice he doesn't say we're all going to experience this good immediately or necessarily in this lifetime. And remember, we only see things dimly in this life, so we may not understand what he's up to. And notice God doesn't make this promise to everyone. He makes this solemn pledge that he will take the bad circumstance of our life and draw good to emerge if, if we are committed to following him. The Old Testament has a great illustration of this in the life of Joseph. Joseph went through terrible suffering, terrible suffering. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused of a crime. He was falsely imprisoned. And then finally, after a dozen years, He gets elevated to a role of great authority where he could save the lives of his family and many other people. And this is what he said to his brothers about his suffering in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, you, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And if you're committed, friends, to following God, he promises to take whatever pain that you endure and to draw something good from it. 
And if you're skeptical about that, if you think, no, 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 he doesn't understand the degree of suffering I've gone through. He doesn't understand the tragedy that's befallen our family. No, 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 I don't think he could even, even God, I don't think, can draw good from this. I would remind you that God took the worst possible thing that could ever happen in the universe, which is the death of the Son of God on a cross, the worst thing that could ever happen in the universe, and he, from that, created the best thing that has ever happened in the universe, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him. And if God can take the worst possible thing in the universe and turn it into the best possible thing in the universe, he can take the circumstances of your life and your suffering, and he can and he will draw good from it. So let's review. Point of light number one in these taillights we're following through the fog is this. God did not create evil and suffering, but it entered our world due to the sin of people like you and me. Point of light number two, though suffering is not good, God can and does use it for his own good purposes. And we've seen four different ways that he does that. Now, the third point of light as we're going through this fog is this. The day is coming when suffering will cease and God will judge evil. The day is covering, the day is coming when suffering will cease and God will judge evil. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, look, if God has the power, if he's all powerful, then he could certainly eradicate all the evil and suffering. Why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he do it? And the answer is because he hasn't done it yet does not mean that he won't ultimately do it. You know, I, I've written a bunch of books in my life, and, and, but I've only written one novel, one book of fiction. Uh, my daughter is a fiction writer. She's had a lot of novels published, and, and she said, Dad, you need to write a book of fiction. So I, I, I wrote a book. It's kind of a, a Grisham uh, legal thriller kind of a book. Nobody ever read it. It was a disaster. But anyway, <laughs> so, so I wrote this novel, this book of fiction. And if you somehow got your ha hands on one of these books and you read it, but you only read half the book, and then you slammed it shut, and you said, Strobel is a terrible novelist. Look at all the loose ends of the plot. He didn't resolve the issues in the stories. He didn't resolve all these things that the characters are going through. He's a lousy novelist. I would say, well, wait a second. You got to read to the end of the book. You know, you can't shut it halfway through. You got to read to the end of the book. And the Bible says, the story of this world is not yet over. The Bible says the day will come when sickness and pain will be eradicated and people will be held accountable for the evil they've committed. Justice will be served in a perfect way. That day will come, but it has not come yet. So what's holding God up? What's holding him up? Why doesn't he end history right now? And the answer is, why doesn't he do it? Because of some of us in this room because of some people in our family or our neighborhoods or our workplace, there are still people that God knows are going to ultimately come to repentance, come to faith, and spend eternity with him in heaven, but they have not done it yet. And so he is literally holding back the, the curtain of history. He's holding back the consummation of history, the end of history, so that these remaining people could come to faith and have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. To me, that is evidence of the love of God, that he would care so much for us, that he would postpone the end of history so that those remaining folks can come into the kingdom of God. Point of light number four, going through this fog. Our suffering will pale in comparison to what God has in store for his followers. Whatever suffering we're going to go through, it will pale in comparison compared to what God has in store for those who follow him. That's not to minimize the pain and suffering that we go through. But it helps if we take a long-term perspective. Listen to this. This was written by the Apostle Paul, who suffered probably far worse than any of us will. He suffered through beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and imprisonment and rejection and hunger and thirst and homelessness. But these are his words, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And Paul wrote this in Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So look at it this way. Let's say that on the first day of 2023, you had a terrible day. Oh, it was awful. The first day of this year was just terrible. You had a root canal and the, the dentist ran out of anesthetic. And oh my gosh, it was awful. And then on the way home from the dentist, you crashed your car, you totaled your car. And then as you're sitting in your total car, you realize I forgot to insure this car. Your stock portfolio takes a nosedive. Your best friend betrays you. Your spouse is sick. I mean, from beginning to end, this first day of 2023 was sort of like the title of that children's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. But then, every other day in 2023 is incredibly terrific, incredibly terrific. Your relationship with God is real and close and intimate. A friend wins the lottery and gives you $100 million. You get promoted at work to your dream job. Time Magazine puts your picture on the cover as person of the year. You have your first child and he's healthy and strong. Your marriage is idyllic. Your health is fabulous. You take a six month vacation to to Tahiti. And then imagine next New Year's Day, New Year's 2024, someone says to you, so hey, how was 2023 for you? You say, it was fabulous. It was wonderful. It was terrific. And if they say, well, wait a second. I heard it started out bad for you. I heard you had a bad first day of 2023. And you think back and you say, yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. It was a bad day. No denying it. It was hard. It was painful at the time. But when I look at the totality of the year, when I put everything into context, this has been a fantastic year. The 364 terrific days far outweigh this one bad one. It just sort of fades away. And friends, can I tell you something? The same will be true in heaven. After 526,236,573 days of perfect bliss in heaven, perfect bliss in heaven, 
with an infinite more blissful days to come? If someone were to come to you and say, how has your existence been? You say, it's unbelievable. It's wonderful. It's incredible. And words can't describe the joy and the delight and the fulfillment I've, I've experienced. And if they say, well, wait a second. Before you got to heaven, didn't you have a tough time? Didn't you have some tragedies in your life? Wasn't it kind of hard? And you say, no, 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 you're right. You're absolutely right. There were difficult times. There were stressful times. But when I put them into context, in light of God's outpouring of goodness to me, those bad days are not even worth comparing with the eternity of blessings and joy that I've experienced in heaven. It's like the story of the British pastor, Gavin Reed. He talks about going to a hospital and spending some time with a young man who had fallen down a flight of stairs as a toddler many years earlier, and he shattered his back. And he'd been in and out of hospitals his whole life. And yet, as he was talking to this pastor, this young man made the outrageous statement that he thought that God is fair. And the pastor said, wait, hold on a second. How old are you? And the young man said, I'm 17 years old. And the pastor said, how many years have you spent in hospitals? He said, 13 years. He said, and you think God is fair? And the boy said, well, God has all eternity to make it up to me. And he will. He will. God promises a time of no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, when we will be united with God in perfect harmony forever. I mean, let the words of 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 soak into you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever even conceived of what God has in store for those who love him. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Finally, one more point of light is this. We decide, we decide whether to turn bitter or to turn to God for peace and courage in the midst of our suffering. We decide, are we going to run the other way from God or are we going to run to God? I mean, we've all seen examples where the same kind of suffering causes some people to turn bitter and to reject God and become hard and angry and sullen. And that same kind of suffering can cause another person to become more gentle and empathetic and loving and to help other people who are going through the same kind of circumstances. I mean, some people go through the tragedy of losing a child to a drunk driver and they spend the rest of their life turned inward with rage and kind of a never-ending cycle of despair. And others who lose a child to a drunk driver end up going out and starting Mothers Against Drunk Drivers to minister to other people who are going through a similar circumstance. One philosopher said to me, said, Lee, I believe all suffering is at least potential good, an opportunity for good. It's up to our free choice to actualize that potential. Not all of us benefit from suffering and learn from it because that's up to us. That's up to our free will. I mean, we make the choice to run to God or away from God. But if you run to God in the midst of suffering, what do you find? Well, I began this message by quoting a bit of a verse to you. But now I want to give you the whole verse and put it into context. John 16, the words of Jesus. 
Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. And in this verse, he offers the two very things we need the most when we're going through difficult times in our life. We need peace to deal with the present, and we need courage to deal with our future. And how does he give it to us? Because he has conquered the world. Through his suffering and through his death, Jesus deprived the world of its ultimate power over you and me. Suffering does not have the last word anymore. Death does not have the last word anymore. God has the last word. God does. So let me finish the story of Leslie and I driving through this dense fog up in the peninsula in Wisconsin. We're following the taillights of this truck in front of us. And and after a while, the fog began to lift and the rain stopped. And I remember we, we turned around a curve and the sky lightened up and the visibility was restored and as, I, as we turned this curve there was a church with a steeple and silhouetted against the sky was the cross of Jesus Christ and it had such an impact on me to see that at that moment because it was through that cross that Jesus conquered the world See, God's ultimate answer to suffering is not an explanation. It's the incarnation. It's the incarnation. You see, suffering is a personal problem, and it demands a personal response. God is not some distant, disinterested deity. He entered into our world and personally experienced our pain. A wise man once said to me, you know, Lee, Jesus is there in the lowest places of our lives. Are you broken? He was broken like bread for us. Are you despised? He was despised and rejected of men. Do you cry out that you just can't take it anymore? He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Did someone betray you? Well, he was sold out. Are your tenderest relationships broken? He loved and he was rejected. Do people turn from you? Well, they hid their faces from him as if he were a leper. Does Jesus descend into all of our hells? Yes, he does. From the depths of a Nazi concentration camp, Corey Tinboom wrote these words. No matter how deep the darkness, he is deeper still. Every tear we shed becomes his tear. And the wise man told me this. He said, Lee, it's not just that God knows and sympathizes with us in our troubles. Any close friend could do that. Any close friend could sit next to you on a park bench when you're going through tough times and put his arm around you and comfort you and empathize with you and encourage you. Yeah, any close friend could do that. But Jesus goes so much further because Jesus is closer than your closest friend. Because if you have put your trust in him, he is in you. God is in you. And therefore, your sufferings are his sufferings, and your sorrow is his sorrow. So when suffering comes, 
and you make the choice to run into his arms instead of run the other way, you will find peace to deal with the present and you'll find courage to deal with the future. And you'll find the incredible promise of eternal life in heaven with him. God gives the ultimate answer to this biggest objection we face. He turns our question mark into the cross of Christ. And because of that, because there is peace and courage available through God, there's hope. There's hope. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Friends, we face a choice when tough times come to run away from God or to run to him to find peace and to find courage. Which way are you going to run? And do you have Jesus in your life, in your soul to help you navigate these tough times that we know are going to come into this world, into our lives? I want to give you an opportunity If you don't know Jesus personally, if you don't have the security of knowing that he has redeemed you, that he has opened up the curtains of heaven for you, that you will ultimately spend eternity with him, that he will, Romans 8, 28, draw good from the suffering you endure. If you're not sure, I want to give you the opportunity to know for a fact that you have been safely adopted into God's family forever. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you want to take that step, Just in your heart, God will hear you. Just in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, as best I can, I do believe that you are the Son of God. You proved it by returning from the dead. And right now, I confess the obvious. I'm a sinner. I know that. And I want to turn from that. And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive your free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for loving me so much that you endured the torture of the cross so that we could be reconciled forever. Help me, Jesus, to live the kind of life that you want me to live because from this moment on, I am yours. And now, Father, we know that anyone who has prayed that prayer in repentance and faith has now been adopted into your family and that now they have the resources to deal with the inevitable suffering that we experience in a, sin, in a sin-scarred world. That you will give us the peace and the courage to cope with the circumstances we encounter and then ultimately to take us to eternity with you to spend eternity in a place of no tears, no suffering, but joy and adventure and fulfillment beyond our imagination. We thank you for that. We thank you for the church that rallies around each other when we do go through tough times. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that we would all emerge ever more in love with the God who came into our world and suffered so that we could be reunited forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless. 
Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.